You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Uh, in your Old Testaments will be the prophets Amos. And actually, don't turn to the beginning, turn to the end. Turn to Amos uh, chapter 9 with me this morning. Now, there was a rumor going around that because we would be in Amos uh, this week that we would be giving away famous Amos cookies. Um, and I don't know who started that rumor, but I like the way you think, all right? Uh, we should have... Uh, We should have done that. Amos uh, chapter 9 is where uh, we are going to be today. And now Amos, uh, every one of these minor prophets that we go through, we could really kind of give give them uh, a category that they fall into. We could could give them something, one word that describes their message. And Amos, he's the prophet of justice. And so as I was thinking about the book of Amos this week, it, it seems like over the last several months, that in our world, there have been cries for justice. And so we, we look what has happened, what is happening in Ukraine, and we're looking for justice. This week, we saw a, a massive school shooting. And we have questions about, well, where, where is justice? Is justice going to happen? Something that hits a little closer to home for our church is uh, maybe you saw the report that came out this week from the Southern Baptist Convention uh, about how one of our entities, and probably more than that, have mishandled sex abuse reports, cases across the board. And even as I read that report, and as I'm, I'm still working my way through that report, one of the questions that I have, one of the, the questions that I wrestle with is justice. Right? Will justice be served? What does justice look like? And so as we look at the prophet Amos, Amos deals with these questions of justice now, now, the kind of justice that Amos is going to be talking about here, he's going to zero in on, on one kind of injustice, on one kind of justice. But, but the picture that we get from this book is that God cares about justice, that our God is a just God. And one of the things that that does is it gives us confidence. It gives us hope because we know that we might not get perfect justice today. We might not get perfect justice this month or this year, we might not see perfect justice in this life, but that one day, our God, who is perfectly just, will execute his perfect justice. And so I'm going to be honest with you, the book of Amos is fairly bleak. The book of Amos is a book of judgment and justice, but it doesn't end there. So look with me at Amos chapter 9. We're going to read the last two verses of this book. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. Look with me at Amos chapter 9, starting in verse 14. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. 
I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word that is true, and thank you for the confidence and the hope that we have that you are a just God who will execute perfect justice on that day. And so, Father, we look forward to that day. But, Father, we pray that between now and between that day, that you would make us a people, that you would make us a church who seeks to see justice fall like rain. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The reason I read those two verses, the reason we read those two verses is it was intentional. So what we've seen as we looked at Hosea and as we looked at Joel, and maybe you haven't been here for those, uh, that's fine. I'll bring you up to speed. One of the things that, that we saw as we looked at that is, is that as you moved through Hosea, as you moved through Joel, there would be these, these promises of repentance and restoration, that if, that if Israel would repent, if Judah would repent, then there would be restoration. Now, it's interesting that Amos, the prophet of justice, that that as he's speaking on God's behalf, as the Lord is speaking through him, the Lord never offers a time for Israel to repent. Now, he says, look, because of your injustice, because of the way that you have oppressed the poor, because of the way that you've taken advantage of the needy, you are going to be judged. But that after judgment, this is what I'm going to do. He promises to restore the fortunes of his people, Israel. And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with this book this week. Uh, I've struggled with this book because there's a weightiness as we read the book of Amos. Uh, I'd encourage you, I I got an email uh, this week asking me if we would be moving in order because uh, this brother wanted to read ahead. He wanted to read Amos before today. I'd encourage you to read Amos this this coming week, but I'd also encourage you to go ahead and read Obadiah as well, to to read ahead so that you can see what we're going to be looking at. You can see we're going to move in order through these prophets. But I've struggled with this book because there's a weightiness to the book of Amos. There's There's a heaviness to it. And so as we look at this book, I I want us to feel the weightiness. I want us to to feel the heaviness that the Lord is speaking to Israel through. And and so as we look at this book, we see this truth. That when we fail to see God and ourselves accurately, we fail to live justly. When we fail to see God and ourselves accurately, we fail to live justly. You might think of it like this. That if our worldview is bad, then our lives will be as well. And so as we look at this passage, first we're going to see this, that we must see ourselves clearly. We must see ourselves clearly. Now, this is much easier, or this is much harder than it sounds, right? It sounds easy, but but what we know is that self-awareness is hard, right? Self-awareness isn't easy easy. And so Amos, one of the reasons he's writing, one of the reasons he's ministering, one of the reasons he's prophesying is because he wants Israel to see themselves clearly. He he wants Israel to see and to understand just how they have transgressed, just what they have done wrong. And so we know a little bit more about Amos than we did about Joel. So if you, you flip back to the beginning of the book of Amos, 
all the way back to chapter 1. We get, we get something of a, of a picture into who Amos is, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. Now, Amos, we know because he says that, you keep going there in verse 1, he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So he gives us some cues about when he's writing. And so what we know from those cues is that Amos is one of the earliest of the writing prophets. He's ministering, he's writing at the same time as Hosea and as Isaiah and as Micah. Now, what's interesting is Amos is from Tekoa. Now, Tekoa was a small village that was south of Jerusalem. And if you remember back to the last two weeks, we've talked about this divided kingdom, right? That there's the northern kingdom, Israel. There's the southern kingdom, Judah. Amos lived in the southern kingdom. Or he, he grew up, he was raised in the southern kingdom. He was raised in Tekoa. But what we find as we read through the rest of this book is that Amos's calling was to minister, was to prophesy to the northern kingdom. And so Amos is going from the southern kingdom to the northern kingdom. This would be like uh, someone who is a Gator fan being called to go minister in Tallahassee, right? Uh, to, to the heathens at Florida State uh, University. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I don't think they're all heathens. Um, so, so this, you've got to understand that this isn't just like going from Sanford to Lake Mary, right? This isn't just like going from Daytona to Orlando. No, for Amos to go from the southern kingdom to the northern kingdom, this is crossing enemy lines, right? And they would know because what we know is that the, even the way that writings look from that time period, that there was a difference in writing, there's a, a difference in speaking. So he would have walked in and he would have instantly been out of place. Uh, several years ago, I was, uh, I was in Publix and uh, the cashier looked at me and I was in a Publix in Florida, not far from here. And the cashier looked at me and she said, is that a native Florida accent? Uh, and I said, I guess so. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know we had one, but yeah. It is, right? She, she could tell uh, where, where I was from based on my accent. And so, so there's no way that Amos is going to be able to hide who he is. Right? The, the people are going to know that, that this is a man who has come from the southern kingdom to call out against what was happening in the northern kingdom. Now, like Hosea and Joel, Amos is prophesying in a situation of great prosperity, in fact, one commentator, he puts it like this. He says that the upper class enjoyed unparalleled prosperity while the rest of society lived in poverty and oppression. And, and so what you have is you have the upper class of Israel, the, the upper class of the northern kingdom. What we'll see is they keep getting richer as the rest of society keeps getting poor. In fact, we can think of it as the rest of society keeps getting oppressed because the reason that the upper class is getting richer is because they are oppressing. It's their, their prosperity is coming at the expense of the lower, the lower echelon of society. And so here in the book of Amos, he's calling Israel. The Lord is calling Israel. He's calling us to see ourselves clearly and he's doing this in at least two ways here in the book of Amos. So first, 
He calls us to see ourselves clearly. He calls Israel to see themselves clearly by recognizing their religious routine. So flip with me to chapter 5. Look with me at verse 21. We're going to read down to verse 24. This is the Lord speaking. Before I do that, let me set the context of what's happening. So if you were to read up to this point, what what you would find uh, through the first two chapters is you would find the Lord calling out judgment against the nations. He's going to go nation by nation. He's going to go through Israel's neighbors, and he's going to call out judgment. He he even calls out judgment against Judah, the, the southern kingdom. And so what we might expect is that because Israel is, is the Lord's people, right? Judah's Lord's people as well. They, they, these two kingdoms, since they're the Lord's people, that, that he's not going to call it judgment on them. But what he does is he calls out judgment on them because he wants them to see that they are no different than the nations. And if you remember last week, we saw that the nations are everything that is opposed to all that is holy. The, the nations are everything that is opposed to God and his way and his will. And so the Lord has built this case, and he's building this case through the entire book of Amos, that Israel, that they they are no different than the rest of the nations. And because they're no different than the rest of the nations, then they're going to be judged just like the rest of the nations. And so here in verse 21 of chapter 5, we have some, some pretty serious words. He says, I hate, this is the Lord, I hate, I despise your feast. I look this up in Hebrew, it means hate, right? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. In the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The Lord denounces Israel's fake worship because Israel, they were going through this routine, right? They were going through this ritual. They knew what they were supposed to do. And the Lord says, I don't want any of it because it's all fake. I don't want any of it because you don't really get it. You, you don't really understand. If you, if you really understood, then justice would roll down like waters and, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, what Israel was doing is their worship was really nothing more than a performance. They were just doing what they were supposed to do. We might call this apathy. And if you remember last week, that's exactly what Joel called out against, right? He, he called out against the apathy of God's people. But the Lord doesn't just have fault with their religious routine. He also wants them to see their religious confusion. So look at verse 25 here of chapter 5. We won't have these on the screen because I changed my mind after. Uh, verse 25 says this. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Which they did. And then verse 26 You shall take up Sikketh your king and Kion your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So understand what has just happened here. The Lord has just called out against Israel for their fake worship of him, and now he's calling out against them because they're also worshiping a star god. 
right? They're also worshiping idols. See, Israel, they had some kind of religious confusion. They worshiped Yahweh, right? And when we talk about Yahweh, that's the, the covenant name of the Lord, the, the covenant name of God. They worshiped Yahweh, but they also worshiped idols from other nations. And the reasoning was, is that as long as they're worshiping Yahweh and they're worshiping these idols, they're prospering. Right? Things are great, and so why would they stop it? They just need to sprinkle their worship to all of their gods. See, what's happening here in Amos, you can tell, remember, that the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets, originally, it was one book, the book of the 12. You can see how whoever put these together, they were doing it for a purpose, because in Amos, you have the sins of Hosea, and you have the sins of Joel coming together. Remember, Hosea called out against idolatry. Joel calls out against apathy. And Amos says here, you are apathetic and you're idolatrous. And the dangerous thing about this is that idolatry and apathy, what happened is it turned to syncretism. Mixing the worship of the true God with the worship of false gods. Mixing worship with the true God with the worship of idols. Now, remember what an idol is. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart more than God. And And we've talked about that idols aren't just things made of stone and made of wood, but an idol, it can be anything, right? It can be be good things, it can be bad things. We can take any good gift that God has given us and we can turn it into an idol. And so I think that this is probably where the danger is for us. See, the danger for us is not simply... That we would completely turn from the Lord and we would start seeking after these idols. The danger for us is that we would think that I can give my heart to Jesus and money. I can give my heart to Jesus and to this thing over here. That I can worship this and I can worship that. But you remember what Jesus said about that? That no man can have two masters because he'll end up hating one and loving the other or loving one and hating the other, right? See, the danger for us is not that we will, and I think there is some danger that we'll completely turn from the Lord, but I think that a far more pressing danger is that we will think that I can serve God and I can serve this. That I can worship God, but I'm not going to let my worship of God get in the way of my pursuit of this thing or that thing. That my worship of God can't interfere with my hopes and my dreams. As if worshiping God would be second place to anything. See, the danger for us is that we start mixing worship of idols with worship of God and we don't even realize it. It's kind of like asking a fish what it's like to be wet, right? It wouldn't know, right? It's only ever been wet. Because we're constantly swimming in the stream of the world, constantly swimming in the stream of the culture, the danger is is that we will mix worship of God with the worship of an idol and we won't realize we've done it. That we won't be able to see ourselves clearly enough and so we'll think that this is normal. This is the American dream, right? The American dream is that I can become prosperous but also come to worship on Sundays, and I get it, like, we're the holy ones here, right? You're here on Memorial Day weekend, right? Like, like we're the holy ones, right? The, 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 I can chase this or I can chase that. And God will be okay if I give him what's left over. Now, understand this. Amos, and I think the rest of the Bible, 
is not calling out against wealth. He's not saying that there's no room for being wealthy or for being prosperous. Instead, what Amos is calling out specifically is the way that you got there. Did you do it in a holy and in a righteous and in a God-honoring way? What had happened was is Israel had not. We'll see this a little bit later, that, that Israel, this upper class, they had built their wealth by stepping on the little people, right? That they had used others, they, they had been greedy, they had used others to, to take advantage, and so they built their wealth that way. What we see more often than not is that the Lord says that he doesn't care about how much money you do or do not have. He cares about your heart, right? He, he, he doesn't care about what you have, he cares about what you do with it. And so as we look here in the book of Amos, we see that we must see ourselves clearly. Next, we see this, that we must see God correctly. We must see God correctly because of who we are, because we understand, we recognize that we are sinners and that we are in constant danger of syncretism. We're in constant danger of idolatry. Because of that, we've got to see God correctly because here's the truth, that when we see God correctly, correctly, all of a sudden, idolatry and syncretism is no longer attractive, right? Why would I want the fake when I can have the real, right? Why would I want the counterfeit whenever I can have what's actually valuable, what's actually good? But there's a great danger if we don't see God correctly. Now, what's interesting is you read through the book of Amos. There are three passages that this book is, is seemingly structured around. And these, are, these three passages are actually, many commentators believe that they're hymns. They believe that they are songs or they are confessions that Israel would have made about who God is and about what he is like. And so Amos uses these to remind Israel who it is that they are talking to, who it is that they are dealing with. He's reorienting Israel to remind them and to remind us of how great God really is. So look with me at Amos chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 13. For behold, he who forms the mountain and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. See, this, this verse, it should prompt awe. It should, it should prompt fear. There's majesty here, right? Who is the Lord, the God of hosts? Well, he's the one who, who forms the mountains and creates the wind. He declares to man what is his thought. Think about that for a minute. He declares to man, what is his thought? That means that the Lord, the God of hosts, that when he looks at us, he doesn't have to think real hard about what it is we're thinking, right? He he tells you, this is what you're thinking about, right? He declares to man, what is their thoughts? He he makes the morning darkness. He, He treads the height of the earth. Now, why why does this matter? Why is this here? We'll look back up to verse 12. God's just, he just warned them. He says, therefore, I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Who is your God? The Lord, the God of hosts is his name. He makes the morning darkness. He treads the height of the earth. He, He forms the mountains and he creates the wind. But look at verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. He who made the Pleiades and Orion. Now, remember, 
what we read at the end of chapter 5 just a minute ago. They're worshiping a star god, right? And before Amos gets there, he says, he who made the Pleiades and the Orion, right? The real god of the heavens. He, he turns deep darkness into morning and darkness and darkens the day into night. Who, who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. These verses are, are showing again God's control over creation, that, that he made the stars, right? The, he who made the Pleiades and the Orion. And, and it says he, he turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about that, that our God is the one who spins the earth on its axis. Right, the, the, the reason the earth is rotating, the, the reason the earth is spinning is because God is strong enough, because God is great enough. Nothing can stand against him. He destroys the strong. And, and so Amos is building this picture of who God is, and he keeps doing it. Look at chapter 9. Verses 5 and 6, we have this last statement. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts and, and all who dwell in it mourn and, and it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and found his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. And so Amos is building this case about who God is and what he's like. The, the point of these passages is to draw attention to the God Israel has failed to fear. See, Israel has failed to fear this God, and that's evident because they're not just worshiping him, but they're worshiping all of these other false gods. And, and the reason they're worshiping all these other false gods is because they don't think that God's really a God of his word. They don't think that God is really that strong or God is really that great or God is really that mighty. And so Amos is saying, no, look, understand, see who this God is that you are dealing with. If this God is angry, then we should fear. See, this is the role of the minor prophets. The role of the minor prophets, more often than not, is to help God's people see God clearly and take him seriously. Because when we do that, our lives change. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is what Proverbs says. And so the, the greatest, the most loving thing that these prophets could do is, is to help Israel and to help us fear the Lord. And just like Israel, we need that reminder regularly. But we don't, we don't fear the Lord as if he's going to strike us. We fear the Lord as a, as a child fears their father, right? Knowing that because of his great strength, we are safe and we are secure, but that this God, this Father, that he is strong enough to defeat us all, right? He, he's strong enough to handle the bad guys, and the bad news is, is that Israel is the bad guy. See, we need that reminder. You know, I, I love my cell phone some days, and other days I hate my cell phone, um, especially when I get the phone call and it says, spam risk, right? Uh, just don't ring. Um, one of the things I, I've come to appreciate about my phone over the last few months is the importance of the calendar app. And so everything, if it's not in the calendar, it doesn't happen. And so everything goes in the calendar. And the, the great thing about that is not just that it keeps my appointment so I know what's happening, 
but also that I can set reminders to remind me to think about what's coming up, right? I can set it out to remind me two days or a day or an hour or 15 minutes or, or 30 minutes or whatever it may be. Because even though I might have put that event on the calendar, sometimes I forget about it and I need to be reminded that this is coming, right? That the, the due date is fastly approaching. That's what these statements are in Amos. They're a reminder of who God is and what he is like. Because we need to constantly be reminded of who God is lest we forget. I'm not great with names. Maybe some of you are really good with names. This is bad news for me as a pastor, right? I should remember names better than I do. Uh, and so if I say, hey, brother, uh, it's not because I forgot your name, I promise, right? Uh, <laughs> And so sometimes, maybe we forget names, but what Amos is telling us is that you cannot forget Yahweh. The Lord is his name. And so we've got to see ourselves clearly. We've got to see God correctly. And finally, we must see justice accurately. We must see justice accurately. Seeing God and ourselves accurately always, always always leads to action. See, Amos's indictment is because Israel has failed to see the world clearly, and because they've failed to see the world clearly, they have failed to live justly. So in Amos, Israel relates to justice in two ways. First, we've got justice ignored. They ignore justice. Look with me at Amos chapter 2. In verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So he's saying that because of what Israel has done, he's not going to withhold his punishment. What is it that they have done? They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. So what he's talking about here is that Israel, what they're doing is they are engaged in bearing false witness against the innocent for a price. Right, they, they, they sell the righteous for silver. Then he goes on, he says, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They, they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. What this is, is this is that, that for a debt as small as a pair of sandals, you, you have this part of Israel that they're, they're selling them into slavery because they owe them, they owe, they owe the oppressor the, the price of sandals. See, here in chapter 2, the Lord has just declared judgment on the nations. And now he turns and he declares judgment on Israel for this bearing false witness and this selling into slavery for this, this small debt. But look at chapter 8 of Amos in verse 4. I'm going to read down to verse 6. Hear this. You who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? So, so what's happening here is he, he's saying, hear this, you who trample on the needy, so you who abuse the needy, you who bring the poor of the land to an end. Verse 5 is, you get the heart of this offensiveness. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? This was a festival that the Lord had instituted in the law. There was a festival of the new moon. These, these greedy ones, this greedy upper echelon, upper class of Israel, they just want to know, okay, when will this festival be over so that we can start selling grain again? And the Sabbath, 
When's the Sabbath going to be done? When is that day going to be over that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the, the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances? Now, in the Old Testament, false balances are always a sign of injustice. And so Israel, they are blatantly, they are openly wanting to deal with false balances that they might, may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And so understand what just happened in verse 2, right? That you're willing to sell someone in need because they're in debt to you for a price of sandals. And now he's saying you're also willing to buy them for a price of sandals. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the, the chaff of the wheat. See, Israel believed that, that their ritualistic worship could excuse their greed. They're proudly ignoring God's call for justice because you can't, you can't read the Old Testament and not understand that God is a God of justice. You can't read the Old Testament and, and not understand that, that God cares about justice. This is why you read in the law that, that they were to, to take harvest, but they were to, to leave the edges of their harvest alone so that those, the sojourner, the ones passing by, they could grab some grain and have something to eat. And, and so what he's saying here is he's saying, look, you've completely missed the boat, right? You have completely given yourselves over to injustice. And so we get this picture that the Lord doesn't just care about what we believe, but he also cares about how we live because how we live is ultimately a reflection of what we really believe. See, Israel knew their Bibles. They knew about the feast. They knew about the Sabbath. They, they knew about the worship that they were to be engaged with. They didn't care about anyone else. See, if we, have, if we live with no concern for others, then we have missed what it means to be God's people. Because God's people care about other people. In fact, in the book of James, we get this picture of, okay, what does real religion look like? What does pure religion, what does undefiled religion look like? James 1.27 says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what does religion that is pure and undefiled look like? It looks like caring for the least of these. It looks like caring for the voiceless. It looks like caring for the powerless. It looks like caring for the oppressed. And so in Amos, Israel, they're, they're, ignoring, they're ignoring justice. But then God promises that they're going to experience justice. So flip back with me to Amos chapter 5. And look at verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Now, if you were here last week, we, we saw the day of the Lord introduced. And what we believe is this is actually chronologically the, the first time the day of the Lord is given because Amos is one of the early writers. But the day of the Lord was the day of judgment. It, it could be the day of judgment on what the common thought was for Israel was that the day of the Lord was the day of judgment on their enemies. But, but what Joel introduced to us last week was that the day of the Lord, and what Amos is going to pick up on here again, is that the day of the Lord isn't just judgment in the future on Israel's enemies then, but it could be judgment coming soon on Israel for their injustice, for their sin now. And he says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. So Israel, they are looking forward to this day, and Amos says, be careful what you ask for, right? 
Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. In other words, it's not good news for you, Israel, because of the injustice that you've been living with. As if a man fled from a lion and a, and a bear met him or, or went to the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. So look, Israel, you think, you, you think that the day of the Lord is coming to judge your enemies, but because you've gotten so comfortable, it's going to be like you go and lean up against the wall and a serpent bites you. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? See, Israel may have ignored justice. They have, may have ignored injustice, but they are going to experience justice is what Amos says. Look at chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake us or meet us. So this, this sieve, it was used to separate grain from useless chaff. What God is saying here is that Israel is like the nations, that God is going to sift the nations and Israel isn't going to fall out because Israel is just like them, useless. Israel has failed to live righteously. They've failed to care about justice. See, Amos' message is serious. There is judgment for injustice. That's why Amos is the prophet of justice. He's calling out, declaring to Israel that they need to see, they need to understand that they have failed to live justly. And they've failed to live justly because they have failed to see themselves correctly. They've failed to see God accurately. See, we should care about justice because God cares about justice. We should care about the poor. We should care about the needy. We should care about the oppressed. We should care about the powerless because God cares. And so the question is, are we marked by this? Are we as individuals marked by this or are we as a church marked by this? So if I'm honest with you, I, I've got to confess my own sin here that, that oftentimes it's easier for me to turn a blind eye to injustice than it is to press into that, that than it is to, to be who the Lord has called me to do. And so there's, there's hope in the midst of failure. We, we read that there at the beginning. In chapter 9, verse 14, judgment, 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 but God. He says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord. The way that the New Testament would put it is that there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we have forgiveness for the way that we might have failed or the way that we have failed to live marked by a care for justice. But what we also have to see, what we also have to understand is this. Is that apart from God, there is no real justice. See, this is what makes the justice that we're talking about today different than the justice that is advocated in the world. That apart from God, there is no such thing as real justice because apart from God, there's no such thing as permanent justice. 
Apart from God, there's no way for real justice to be executed because justice executed in this world is always executed by someone who is, always, who is also guilty, right? But our God is not guilty. See, this is one of the things that, that we've got to understand is that we are not saved by pursuing justice. We are not saved by making the world a better place. But if we have been saved, then we better pursue justice. Right? If we, we have been changed by God, then we, we better strive to be a voice for the voiceless, to, to stand up for the powerless. We better strive, in other words, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Right? All of the law can be summarized in two statements. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. To love others like you loved yourself. And, and so maybe, maybe this morning you're thinking, hey, if I just do enough good, if I just try to make the world a little better, then God will love me. Right? That's what Amos is talking about, right? No, that's not what Amos is talking about. Amos doesn't, doesn't come after Israel because of their worship. He comes after Israel because of their false worship, right? The, the right thing for Israel to do would be to turn and to repent and to worship the Lord. And as they worship the Lord, as they, they see themselves correctly, as they, they see God correctly, then they pursue to make heaven on earth, right? Not that we can, we can bring heaven here, but to, to show that we love and that we care for others, right? That, that we we love and we care for others the way that God has loved and cared for us. And so maybe you're thinking, well, you can do enough good and God will be pleased with you. The problem is, is that even the good you do is stained by your sin. Even the good you do is, is stained by, by what you've done to try to earn something or try to make something that only God can do. See, God isn't saying that, that you're saved because of what you do. No, he's saying that because you're saved, this is the way you live. Right, that, that's the constant message of the Bible, is that, that if you have been saved, then you should live like this. If you, you have been saved, then you should live like that. If you, you have been saved, then you should care for others. You should love others. And so the first step isn't caring for and loving others. See, the only way that we can care for and we can love others the way God has called us to is to first love God, right? It is to first give our hearts and our lives to Him. And so if you've never trusted Jesus to save you, then we want to invite you to do that. We want to invite you to, to trust him, to give your heart and your life to him because that's where justice begins. Justice doesn't begin with what we do. Justice begins with what God has done. And on the cross, God has executed perfect justice on our sins. And now if we will trust him, we can be forgiven. And, and so as we end today, you can, you can send a text to a number we'll have on the screen 407-338-4024. There's someone on the other end of that line that would love to talk with you. Or you can go to our next steps room right out these doors on the right. And there are people in there ready to, ready to talk with you, ready to pray with you about what does it look like to give your heart and your life to Jesus? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, thank you that you have been patient with us. 
Father, thank you that you're a God of justice, and because you're a God of justice, one day perfect justice will be executed, perfect justice will be carried out. But Father, I pray that until that day comes, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to love others the way you have loved us. God, that you, you would help us to care for, to have a concern for those around us. Father, I pray that, that Central would be a church that if we failed to exist tomorrow, that our community would miss us. But Father, help us to know, help us to remember, help us to be reminded that before any of that, that we need your grace and your mercy to transform our hearts. And so Father, help us to know and to remember that, that we don't serve we don't give, we, we don't go hoping that, that we're going to get something from you, but that because of what you have already given us, we serve, we give, we go. Because of, out of an overflow of what you have done and what you're doing. So Father, we pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.